In 2007, a friend called, picked up my phone. I was in Clintwood, Virginia. It's a pastor friend of mine. And as we were talking, he was sharing a little bit of a story and what God was doing in his life and how God was calling him and his family uh, to go and to plant a church. And now I was really taken aback by this. In fact, I was so taken back by it as I was driving, I had to pull into the Orbit gas station in Clintwood, Virginia, because this friend of mine had a young family, was pastoring a growing church. Just weeks before, he and I had talked about the shopping center that they were considering buying to relocate their church. It was growing so rapidly. They had just uh, built... Uh, out their home that they had. They had put down new floors. And it just kind of baffled me. Why in the world would you leave what was going so well to go start something uh, from scratch? Something that is uh, really, you don't know what to expect. Is it going to go well? You've got a young family. You've got a, a young bride. You've got everything's going so well. God's using you in one place. Why would you uproot everything that was going so good to go to another place? Well, there was only one answer for that. And it was because it was God's plan. It was God's calling. Well, I hung up with Daniel Lucas and I, I went home and, and told my wife what Pastor Daniel and Leanne were about to do. And both of us just, we were like, man, we better pray for them. I mean, they're, they're just throwing, it seems, caution to the wind. But here we are. Here you are. And God has done some amazing things because one family said, I'm going to throw caution to the wind and everything that the world would say is what we should pursue, security, a nice home, a, a, a growing family. But I'm going to give all that up in pursuit of what the unknown might be and what God is calling me to. And you've been a part of that. And so many people have given their lives to Christ and just, just the past three weeks watching your services and some great preaching and I thought, I mean, they want me to come preach. You know, they, I mean, I, I listened to obviously Pastor Daniel and I mean, he brought the word of God and, and then I listened to Adam and, and then I think of Aaron preaching God's word. Now he still hasn't beat me in basketball. I just want you to know that. Okay, Grayson, we've never played, but he's not beat me. Okay, I'm undefeated. And then Matt, Matt bringing God's word. Listen, you need to know something. That is not true. And, and every church that they stand just on the word of God and they, they don't shrink from preaching hard subjects. You should be thankful for the men and women of God that are leading you. And then for you to, to be in this church says a lot about you, that you believe in the word of God, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't necessarily jive with your life plans. You believe God's plan is better because Better Life Church is a church that stands on the word of God and preaches the gospel unapologetically. That whenever my life differs from that which I read in scripture, I don't do a Thomas Jefferson, pull that part of the Bible out. No, I ask God by his mercy and grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to change me. I'm the one that needs to be changed to form to God's plan for my life. Another story, one of humiliation to exaltation. It's one that you'll find in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 37, I encourage you to turn there in your devices and we're gonna cover chapters 37 through 50. 
in the book of Genesis today. It's the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph, his story covers 25% of the book of Genesis. So it must be a pretty important story. You have Adam, he has five chapters. Noah, I mean, he's a pretty important character, right? He only has six chapters. Abraham, oh, Father Abraham, had me right now, I'm not gonna sing, don't worry, but he's pretty important. Father Abraham, he only has 12 chapters compared to Joseph's 13. Isaac has four, Jacob has nine. And Genesis is the foundation of everything you and I need to know to live a life that is pleasing to God and to understand this Bible for which we stand on. So these, this 25%, of Joseph's lie found in the book of Genesis is critical for us to understand the Bible. So what do we know about Joseph? He was one of two sons of Jacob and Rachel. And as we come to the story in chapter 37, the promise seems to fade into the background. The promise to Abraham that he's going to give him a great land and make him into a great people. It seems as if it fades into the background. And no longer does God speak directly to the main character, Joseph. It's kind of unusual. It highlighted in the text. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and chapter 3, we see that God walks with Adam and Eve. We see God declaring to Noah to build an ark. We see him speak to Abraham to leave this country and go to a far off land. He speaks to Isaac about his wife. He even wrestles with his father, Jacob. But at no point in the book of Genesis do we see God speaks to Joseph. And yet the narrator, the author of the book of Genesis, Moses, declares over and over again that Yahweh was with Joseph. And because Yahweh was with Joseph, everything Joseph did Prosper. Every time Joseph walking in the plan of God, even when it didn't look too pretty, even when trouble happened, God prospered him and everything he did. Joseph is introduced in chapter 37. He's introduced as an arrogant young 17 year old. He is the favorite son of his father. And the other 10 brothers are jealous of Joseph. He is handsome and strong, and he's, he's not required to go out and tend sheep. He has the easy job. He is kind of that house cat. You know, some, some of you might be house cats, right? You don't go outside, you're just in the house. Joseph was a house cat. And because of that, his brothers were jealous, and they were envious of him. And in his arrogance, he had a, he had a dream that one day his brothers would all bow down to him. He also had a dream that one day even his mom and dad would bow down to him. Now, that's kind of a crazy dream. But if you have that dream, I don't think you tell your older brothers that aren't so sure they like you anyway. But Joseph, in his arrogance, he tells his brothers, and they become furious. They already don't like the guy. So they decide, they have an opportunity, and they decide they're going to take his life. They're going to kill him. They're just going to take him out. And then one of the brothers... And says, hold on, and Judah says, no, let's not do that. We shouldn't kill our brothers. Everybody can say an amen to that. You shouldn't kill your brother or your sister. He says, let's sell him into slavery. Like, that's a lot better. I mean, come on. We're going to sell him into slavery to the Ishmaelites, 
which are his cousins. They're his cousins. Ishmael and Isaac were brothers, and the Ishmaelites came from Ishmael. And so it's like their second cousin. Their second cousins come along and like, hey, what's up? What's up? How's it going? How's family doing good? Hey, would you like to have Joseph? We'll sell him to you. Yeah, we'll buy our cousin. And then his cousins take him to Egypt. You know the story, right? They take him to Egypt and they sell him to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of his entire estate because everything he does prospers. Yahweh is with him and everything he puts his hands to is successful. Oh, but along comes Potiphar's wife and and she kind of likes Joseph. He's tall and handsome. He's really smart. He gets the job done and she tries to seduce him. But Joseph, a man of integrity, will not succumb to her seduction. So she claims that he raped her. Potiphar, having no other choice, throws him in prison. And then it's in prison. He he goes from Potiphar's house now to the prison. And in prison, he meets two men that were in the royal palace, a baker and the cupbearer. And in that time, they have dreams. Well, Joseph is known. He can interpret dreams. So they come to him. And and so the cupbearer comes and he says, hey, listen, I had this dream. What does it mean? What does it mean, this dream that I have? And Joseph interprets the dream. He says, bro, in three days, you're getting out of here. Really, that's good. And so with that, the baker says, oh, I like that. Interpret my dream. And so he tells him his dream. And he says, bro, in three days, your head's going to be taken off. (laughs) He didn't like that too much. But that's exactly what happened to both of them. And Joseph tells the cupbearer, when you're released out of here, remember me. Don't forget what I've done. But the Bible tells us two years pass, two years pass. And then Pharaoh, he's having these dreams and these dreams are are very disturbing to him. And he's dreaming about these fat cows and these thin cows. And he, he knows they mean something, but he can't interpret the dreams. And he brings in all of his seers and all of his magicians and, and, and all of the wise men. And nobody can interpret the dream. That's when the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And he says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I know a guy. I know a guy in your prison, Joseph, and he can interpret dreams. And he brings him and he tells him the dream. And Joseph interprets dream. He says, they're one and the same. There's going to be seven years of plenty. That's the seven fat cows. And then seven years of lean. And in those seven years of lean, there's going to be a famine that spreads throughout the entire world. And so Joseph said, this is what you need to do, Pharaoh. You need for seven years, you need to hustle. Right. I mean, you got to get some Appalachian harvest going. Right. You got to build some greenhouses and and you got to plant some crops and you've got to grow everything you can and bring everything in that you can. Because when those seven years of lean come, you're going to need it. And so Pharaoh says, I'm going to put you in charge. And he puts him in charge. And that's exactly what happens. And then Joseph, he goes throughout the country and he's setting up barns and he's setting up storehouses. And then the famine comes and people come say, hey, listen, I need some grain. He says, okay, give me some money. He gives them grain. They run out of money. They say, I still need some grain. He says, okay, bring me your cattle. They bring him his cattle. Now they're out of cattle. They still need grain. The seven years aren't up. And he says, okay, deed me over your house. 
and he brings an enormous amount of wealth to Pharaoh and all of Egypt that helped form the next hundred years of history. 400 years for the Israelites. And so this great wealth comes in. And during this time, back in his homeland, Jacob, the famine has hit them and they don't have any grain. So he sends his 10 sons to Egypt. And while they're there, the 10 sons are brought before who else but Joseph. And they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them instantly. Why does he recognize? He recognizes them. They're in the same clothes. They have the same dialect. But Joseph has changed a lot. He has on Egyptian garb. He, he has their vernacular now. He's standing in this platform and there's soldiers around. And they think he's dead as far as they're concerned. He recognizes them and he plots and he plans and he eventually accuses them of stealing and he could take their life because he, he had plotted and planned and all this. And he said, well, I said, this is what I'll do. I won't take your life and I'll send you back, but you have to bring your youngest son, Benjamin, who was born after Joseph back. And so at that, Simeon stays, he stays there in the camp and they go back and they tell their father, Jacob, who's old in age. He said, listen, unless we go back and take Benjamin, who's now your favorite son, who replaced Joseph, unless we take him back with us, Simeon's gone for and Jacob's like, no, I am not sending my only son by Rachel in to take his life as well. But the famine, it just continues to get worth. And finally, Jacob relents and he sends his sons back. To cut to the chase, the sons are once again before him. And once again, Joseph plotting and planning puts gold chalice in the brief saddle of Benjamin. And in that moment, he is taken as a prisoner. And the brother's like, no, our father will send him to the grave. And Judah, the same one that sold jo Joseph into slavery, says, no, no, take me instead. Take me as your slave instead of Benjamin. And it's at that moment, y'all, it's at that moment when the very brother that sold Joseph into slavery, when he was willing to become a slave for his brother, at that point, Joseph broke down and revealed who he was. They go get Jacob and they all come to Egypt and they're there for a period of time. And in the final chapter, Joseph and his brothers travel to Canaan because their father has died and his dying wish was to take his bones back to Canaan. And they fear now that their dad is dead, Joseph will finally take his revenge. And then we read in Genesis 50, 20, the Bible says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Have you ever wondered if God has a plan for your pain? Have you ever wondered in your hurt, in your brokenness, in your woundedness, what is the purpose of that pain? And how an all loving and all powerful God 
continues to let it happen time after time. Have you ever asked, where is God at? For your note takers, write this down. The pandemic is not the problem, y'all. The pandemic is not the problem. This is not the first plague that has swept this earth that we live on. We are the problem. The pandemic simply uncovers the real issues. We're given to fear. Or maybe you struggle with uh, surrendering to authority. You like the buck authority or self-reliant or you're dependent. See, we are the problem. Joseph was the problem. He was that arrogant 17-year-old that everything was just handed to him. And God had to allow the pain to come into his life to get Joseph to the plan. God will push pain into our lives to get our attention, to move us. Because if that pain wouldn't come in, we'd never change. If we're on cruise control, we just keep going. And so God puts up a detour sign. And oftentimes it's in the form of pain. C.S. Lewis said that God, he will whisper to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. We are so more attuned to hearing from God. God wanted to work through Joseph and in Joseph, but there needed to be a work done in Genesis 41, 16. After God had been working in the Holy Spirit, changing the heart of Joseph, he comes to Pharaoh And Pharaoh says, can you interpret my dream? Now, a 17-year-old Joseph says, not only can I interpret that dream, but I'm going to take your position. One day, you're going to bow down to me. You're going to want me to do this. But he had been changed. And he says, I cannot do it. I can't even interpret your dream. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. It is through God's plan that we prosper. It is through his power that we are delivered. It's not through our prowess or our ability or our intellect or our hard work. It is simply a grace of God. He went from the pit to Potiphar house to the prison and then ultimately to the palace. And he knew it wasn't because of his strength or his ability, but it was God. It was God working in him and through him. Someone totally surrendered to him. A number of years ago, uh, me and some of the men in our church, we took our sons repelling. My son Noah was probably about seven and kids aged in range from like six to 10. And, and we took him to a cliff fairly close to our church in Corbin. And uh, we had it all set up. At the top of the cliff, we all walked and we hiked. And the boys, they just love that. Getting out in the woods, you know, looking for snakes and, you know, all these things. And they just, they love the adventure of exploring the woods. And we get to the top of this cliff and we have all our repelling gear there. A good friend of mine had set everything up. And we would put our sons in the harness. And the, the dad of that particular son would go to the bottom of the cliff, would kind of hike down to the bottom. And the other men would actually put the harness on our sons, teaching our sons, hey, listen, you need to trust other godly men. You need mentors in your life that will teach you the way of Jesus and other men that will show you the way of faith. 
And then they would, you know, they would get, they'd have, they wouldn't half listen to us. And, and so, but they'd get the harness on and we'd tell them what to do. They'd never been repelling before. And well, okay, you got to belay. And when you're ready to belay, you say, okay, we'll say belay on. And then you start belaying down this cliff. And we would, we would get about halfway down and the other sons on top of the cliff, well, they could no longer hear what was transpiring down below. The cliff kind of jetted out and they would come to a place and they would be holding on with both hands as they were blaying down. And as we were at the bottom and, and we were blaying them, we would hold the rope so they would be stopped halfway down. Inevitably, the son would say, oh, I, I've stopped. You know, I'm halfway down this large cliff. What am I supposed to do? And, and we would simply look up at our sons and each dad followed the same script. We would say, son, I, I want you to let go of the rope. <laughs> I want you, no, no, what did you just say, dad? You want, you want me to let go of the rope? The rope's what's holding me up here. I've never done this before. I'm, I'm halfway down. I've got to go another halfway down and you want me to let go, of the, let go of the rope, son. And eventually with some coaxing, the son would finally kind of, you know, the death grip, <laughs> the death grip would come off the rope and we would tell them to put their arms out to the side. And we would say, son, there's going to be times in life when you're just going to have to trust me. You're just going to have to let go of what you think you need to do and what is right, and you're going to have to trust me. Okay, all right, Dad, and grab it. No, 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 son. <laughs> let go of the rope. Let go of the rope and back out. Yeah, and, and we're holding them. And son, more importantly, there's going to be times in your life when you're going to have to trust our Heavenly Father. And you're going to have to trust Him. You can't see Him. You're going to hear Him. He's going to tell you to let go of the rope, to, to let go of your control to let, let go of what you think is right. And you're just gonna have to trust him. And in those moments where you can't see him, you have to trust him. Because God does a work in our lives, but we have to let go of some things. We have to let go of some things over here so we can get a hold of some things over here that God wants for us. You know what I'm talking about? Some of us here today, that's where you're at. You're holding on to some things that are holding you back from God's plan for your life. It's a relationship, it's some financial goal, and it's some power that you want at work. And all the while, God, God has something better for you over here, and you've gotta let go of the rope. And you've gotta trust the Father that you cannot see, that he has you, that he's holding you, that you can trust him. You see, this pandemic is not the problem. Your pain is not the problem. We are. In our rebellion and our wickedness, and in those moments, we've got to trust our Heavenly Father. Number two, and moving quickly, we are occupied but not satisfied. We are all occupied in our lives, but you and I are not satisfied by and large. All of our days are filled. You spent as many minutes yesterday as I did, all of them. <laughs> all of them. Our, our days are all filled, but we're not satisfied. We are occupied, but we are not satisfied. We're occupied with our phones. We're busier than ever. We got burdens that weigh us down. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were bored? We live in a, in a culture and a society that doesn't know what it's like to, to be bored. Because what do we do when we're bored? We pick up our phone. And we play Tetris or we play words with friends with social media. And then we look at everybody else on our social media platforms that are occupied, but not satisfied. The irony is that we're so much busier and but we need more time 
We need more time with the Lord to, to do those things that truly satisfy. God gave Joseph a lot of time to think. First in that pit, and then that long caravan ride to Egypt. God, where are you at in this? God, do you really love me? God, my brothers, my brothers, my flesh and blood, they were gonna kill me, then they sold me into slavery to my cousins, and my cousins had me shackled. God, where are you in my pain? And then he says, well, I'll go to Potiphar's house. That's my plan. All right, I'll, I'll deal with it. And he works hard and he rises to the occasion and everything seems to be going smooth. And then the adulterous, seductive woman comes. And now, now he's in prison and he's in prison. And once again, he's at the bottom. And he says, God, really? What is the purpose in my pain? Is there a plan in this? My junk, my, my wife left me. My husband cheated on me. And my retirement, man, it tanked. Now, I'm, I'm, we, we long for children and we're barren. We're, we're in this prison. We're in this pit. God, really? God, really? You love me? This is your plan for my life? And we are occupied, but we are not satisfied. We waste time. C.S. Lewis says we run around with fire extinguishers in times of flood. Genesis 39, 23. Yet the scriptures say the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed. The Lord was with him. Jesus would say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The presence of God is always with us. Number three, we're focused on our problems and not God's plan. You know, Joseph, he could have been focused on his problems and his predicament. But instead, he chose he chose to focus on the potential and the possibilities. All right, I was, I was sold into slavery. I'm in Potiphar's house. Watch me and watch God work through me to do amazing things. And Potiphar's house, man, it went, everything was up and to the right. And then he's in prison. Okay, I'm just gonna make the most of it here. I'm not gonna focus on my problems. This is God's plan. God's gonna use this to do something in me that he couldn't otherwise do if I was on cruise control. And he rises to the top of the prison. The prison ward puts him in charge of everything. And then he interprets the dream. He thinks he has an inside line to Pharaoh. And yet the cupbearer says nothing. We need to focus on God's plan instead of our problems. Genesis 45, 5. Joseph, his brothers, no doubt he had much to be resentful and bitter about. And yet he says, and now to his brothers, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to to his purpose. God has a plan for your pain and your situation. And God wants to do something amazing in your life that will bring him glory and bring good to all people. I'm a fan of Chuck Swindoll. He's a kind of an old preacher. He tells the story of when he was younger and his, his daughter was born with this rare eye disease. And in her eye, it would would just really just flop. It would just go every which way. She had no control. 
And as she kind of went along, they thought it might get better, but it never really got better. And then she went to school and I mean, kids are cruel. You can imagine how they made fun of her. And Chuck Swindoll, this preacher, this author, this seminary president said, I need to do whatever I can do to help my daughter. And so he knew some people as, you know, a big church, a prosperous area, knew some doctors, got him connected to another doctor, just a leading pediatrician in this field. And he went and met with the doctor and the doctor said, listen, I, I'll do what I can, but I'll go in there and I'll tighten this up and I'll tighten that up. But you just need to know, I just, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to help. And he said, we've got to do something. Let's just do it. Let's go for it. So they went in for the surgery and it came out. It, it was moderate at best improvement. And then God was kind of doing some things and moving in Chuck Swindoll's heart. And so they moved uh, to a place in California. In this place in California, medical uh, gurus of the world. And he once again got connected to another physician, one of the leading experts in that area of our country. And same thing, he went in for the consultation and they sat down and the specialist simply said, hey, listen, I'll go in and do what I can. I can't promise anything. I'm going to go on. I'm going to tighten here. I'm going to tighten here. And he said, listen, we'll pay whatever amount. We'll do whatever, whatever the cost. We've got to fix this for our daughter. They went today of the surgery and the daughter went in and came out of surgery and post-op. They took the bandage off and her eye just fell straight toward her nose. And with that, Chuck Swindoll said, with that, I was just raged out of that room. I just, I left my wife and my daughter, who I said I cared so much about, alone in that room. And I went straight to my home. I locked myself in the office and I was angry at God and questioning God and his plan. So I was probably there an hour, maybe two. And there was a knock on the door. I didn't say anything. There was another knock and Finally, he's like, what? Who is it? He said, well, this, this is John, your, your buddy. I was just wondering if you were in there. He took him to, out to lunch and they sat on a park bench and his friend just listened to him. Listened to him and his anguish and his hurt like only a father can have for his daughter. He went home and unbeknownst to him, another friend had conspired with this friend, an artist. In that brief time, his friend had painted a mural, life-size of a monk, you know, the funny haircut, you know, bald on top and scalped around, the brown robe with the hood laying back, the sandals and the, the toes, almost cartoonish sticking up. Very solemn monk. And he penned these words on that mural. You will recognize them as the second stanza of a mighty fortress is our God. Did we in our strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord said both his name from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Chuck Swindoll would say, God taught me through my shameful response that he will win the battle. When it looks like all is defeated, God is still on his throne. The story of Joseph is not just the last story in Genesis. It is a resolution to the story. 
See, the story of Joseph is the story of all the Bible. It is from the cross to the crown. We might ask, what will the Messiah look like when he comes? Genesis says he will look like Joseph. Jesus said, you search looking for eternal life and the very scriptures testify about me. The story of Joseph testifies about Jesus. You could call this the gospel according to Joseph. He is the blood son of the father. His name means abundance. Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life or a better life. No sin is ever mentioned of Joseph, even though we know that he'd sinned. He was scorned by his brothers as Jesus was scorned. He was slain as Jesus was slain. And metaphorically speaking, he rose again, his father and brothers thinking he was dead and yet he was alive. Joseph was given a new name by Pharaoh, the living one. In Revelation, Jesus is given a new name. Joseph is exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. And our Lord, King Jesus, is exalted to the right hand of God. He was despised and rejected Jew who saved the world. So Joseph is that Jew that saved the world. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus for 30 what God meant for good. When all hell was doing its worst, God was doing his best. And the moment in the story of Joseph, we see our salvation, we see God's plan. God has a plan and you're a part of that plan. Better Life Church, look to the person next to you and say, you're a part of that plan. You're a part of that plan. And God has a plan for you. And you're a part of that plan. There's this mega narrative that God himself is writing. And you're in the story. You're part of the plan. And God wants to use you to save the world. To proclaim the good news of the gospel to all people. The pandemic is not the problem. Your pain is not the problem. And you can walk out these doors and you can continue to live a life that is fully occupied, but not satisfied. You can continue to focus on your problems and everything that hasn't been realized in your life. Or you can receive God's perfect plan for your life. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads right where you're at. And we're going to have a, a different invitation this morning. Both here in Moorhead and in Grace and those watching online, I want to pray for you. Some of you here today, man, you're clinging to the rope and God's calling you to step out in faith. He's calling you to trust him and you just need to ex extend your arms and trust the father. There's others here today and those watching online, the pain is so real. Even this morning, you feel the pain and the hurt and in this moment, God wants to step into your pain and bring healing and hope to resurrect your faith once again. And today, I want to pray for that person. I want to pray for that person right now. 
that is struggling, a marriage is struggling, you're, you're wondering what your next step is and you've got a decision to make and you feel alone in this world, you have more questions than you have answers. And the pain is just so hard. And you need to know today that you are not alone, that God loves you and his presence is with you. Yahweh is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And if that's you, I wanna pray for you. And I want you to stand up right now. If you need prayer today, I just want to see you. I want to see who I'm praying for. If that's you, if the pain is real, you have decisions to make, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now in our auditorium. And Grayson, stand up right now so I can pray for you. And I'm going to ask you just to extend, extend your arms to let go just as a sign of letting go of that rope. Just to let go right where you are to let go, whatever you're holding on to, to let go of that and to grab hold of God. Who else will stand in freedom with those who have stood today and come to our good, good father who exchanges for ashes for beauty, who redeems, who resurrects death to life. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name for those that are standing, for those watching online that are standing in their living room, some that are sobbing maybe on the floor, for those in Grayson that are crying out to you, God. God, they need answers. They need hope. They need Jesus. And God, right now we receive from you joy and peace and satisfaction. And God, while the trials that are before us are not gone, God, we will walk in the confidence that you have laid out this plan for us. God, we ask for wisdom. God, I ask for wisdom for those that have stood up that have decisions to be made. Those that are hurt, that you would bring healing. And God, where there is hopelessness, you would bring hope. And where there is strife, you would bring peace. In Jesus' name, we receive this. Amen and amen.